Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good. Good to see you. And uh, thank you for being here to join us. My name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you to Plaza. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I invite you to, to turn. Uh, there's one in the pew there. Or if you're using the Bible app, grab that. Love for you to see God's scripture. Uh, say hello in the chat. All of our folks online, welcome online to our online family. I, I see you there and uh, great for you guys can join us as well. So we're going to be in the book of Numbers. That's an Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. That would be the fourth book, I believe, if I can count right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I got it right. And uh, so glad you're here with us today as we navigate the scriptures here. Before we begin, just want to remind folks again, as it was already announced, our last town hall meeting tonight as we talk about um, uh, the, the great plan the Lord has set before us as we navigate uh, our merger coming up just very shortly. And so uh, many of you have attended the previous ones. And, uh, and so if you hadn't had a chance to or, or still had some other questions, we invite you to come back tonight at six. Um, and then also really want to take some time uh, before we begin the service, just to continue to have a moment of silence, really, uh, to be in prayer for our nation, to be in prayer for um, the, the very real and present um, problem of racism that we continue to see as Dante Wright, Alex Toledo have lost their lives, uh, a mass shooting in Indianapolis. I mean, uh, church, if, if we don't realize how broken our world is and how much God is calling us to step up and be salt and light. Um, you know, we might be sleep at the wheel, right? And, and we don't want to be sleep at the, the wheel. And so I don't have all the answers. Um, I, I don't know how to fix all of these things, but I know as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have got to stand up uh, against wickedness and evil in any form or shape. And so uh, whether that occurs um, uh, in, in any um, arena. And so um, I just want to navigate uh, these things. And I know uh, being a police officer is not an easy job, um, but we've got to stand for justice. In fact, Micah 6.8 says this, right? Micah 6.8 uh, says this. And he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God is a God of justice, and he has called us to be people who to cry out whenever injustice occurs. And so this is important for us to make sure we are um, praying for our nation, that we are standing up and we are navigating uh, these difficult conversations for our brothers and sisters, uh, for our brothers and sisters of a different skin color. We have got to stand and say, listen, we, we hear and, and tell me the stories that, that you have walked through, because obviously these are problems that are still continuing to occur. And, um, and again, not easy to be a police officer, all those sorts of things. Uh, but uh, we need all of our good police officers to stand up for justice, because uh, I know it's just like this, right? Uh, as a pastor, there are bad pastors. And you know what I want to stand up against? When there are bad pastors that steal money from their church, uh, when there are bad pastors that touch on kids, when there are bad pastors that do all kinds of wicked things, I'll be the first one to say, get that person out of here. We are not going to say, just because he's a pastor, just because he's a pastor, we're going to overlook it. No, justice has to occur. And so we need to make sure we are standing for that. And so, uh, again, I'm a preacher. I, I know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know all the ways uh, that we are to fix these problems. I know that through conversations across different boundaries, across racial lines, across age lines and demographic lines, we, we can come together. And, um, and as God's people, if we do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, I know for sure we will see a change. But it starts with the believers. Amen. 
We can't look at the world and expect them to understand these things. And, and so as believers, we have better understand these things a whole lot more. And so let's just take a few moments uh, with heads bowed, with eyes closed to pray for these families, to pray for our nation, people who have lost lives that um, it's tragic anytime life is lost. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just be silent before the Lord and asking God how he might weigh upon us. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, would you call out to God and say, Lord, please help me to be someone who brings light to our world. Lord, please help me to be someone who brings healing to our world. Father, give me courage to stand up for justice. No matter who justice is for or against, we are on the side of justice. Father, we confess our sins. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We confess the sins of our, of our nation. And Father, how we continue to see all sorts of evil, but God, especially, fathers, we see the, the continuing reminder that Satan is dividing people along lines of skin color. But God, you have made one people. And Father, we may all look different, but we reject racism in every form and believe it is from the pit of hell. And so God, may we be able to love our neighbors well in this season. May we be able to hear their hearts crying out Father, just as I believe the ground is cried out, soaked with the blood from Cain. God, you hear the cries of injustice. And so, God, ultimately, we trust all justice to you, the only true judge. But, Father, help us to know how to act in these ways, to reflect your truth, to reflect your glory. God, help us to be people who do justice, who love mercy. And walk humbly with our God. We submit this to you, Father, asking God that in the midst of what Satan would happen for evil, the church would rise up to be an agent of change, to be an agent across all different lines. Lord, locking arms together, pushing back the kingdom of darkness and bringing the kingdom of light, Father. We ask, God, that you would turn our hearts. God, that you would burden our hearts, Father, for these issues and, and many, many other issues, God, that are going wrong in our society, Father. We could stand here all day, Father, over the things that break your heart. And so, Father, we ask, God, for your help, because only Jesus can do it. But we thank you that you are a God who is on the move. We thank you that you're a God who is victorious. And so, God, even when these things happen, they haven't taken you by surprise and, Father, we ask, God, that the name, the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted and lifted up, even in, in the midst of senseless acts of violence. Father, help us. God, we pray. We pray for our brothers and sisters, black, brown, Asian, Hispanic. Pray for us. 
Lord, we pray for our police officers, God. Uh, we pray for everyone involved in all of these things, God. We pray for, um, God, people of different faiths who may have been targeted in this other shooting, God, in Indianapolis, Lord Jesus, because, Father, uh, it is Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it is you who have come, and you said, I bring life. So, Father, we submit this time to you, God, and we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you would move in mighty ways, and we'd see a great revival. Starting in the church, starting with me, God, revive my heart. And, Father, start with, with us, the people of God, the people who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we experience revival, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, thank you. And this really is fitting as we talk about different, this series that we are in, different. Y'all will have to forgive me because you know how it is in our mask-wearing world, glasses fog up, and I have no clue where I put my glasses this morning. Uh, the sound booth guys had them last week, and I, I tend to put them up here, and then they go somewhere else. And, um, and so I see people. I know there's people here, but I can't see your faces, and uh, I'm used to seeing your faces. But that's okay. I've been preaching to a camera for the past year, so uh, we'll just go from there. But as we talk about this series, different, right? God has called us as the people of God to be different from the world. The Bible says, my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. And so his ways are not our ways. And so we as uh, Christians have to be reeducated have to be changed and conformed into the image of Christ because we have lived in a world full of sin. We were born sinful in our own minds, depraved and rebellious against God. And so God has, has to change us so that our minds become His mind, so that our ways become His ways. That process is called sanctification. Touch your neighbor, tell them sanctification. That's right. You got, you got a new word for you today. And um, touch your other neighbor, the one that was your second choice, and reach over and tell them today. Sanctification. And um, big fancy word. Yeah, that's okay. If you don't want to touch people, that's okay too. I know COVID, you can't touch people. You can just wave at them, you know, that sort of stuff. And um, it's, it's okay. Uh, we got to change our normal routines. And so sanctification is this process of becoming mature, the process of becoming like Christ. That's what we're all supposed to be like. And we are to be different. And so let me ask you this question. This is a question really from the outset is this. Do you see things from God's perspective? Do you see things from God's perspective? Do you have God's vision for your life, for our world? Do you have God's vision for your family, for your children and your grandchildren? Do you have God's vision for your relationships and your boyfriend or your girlfriend or uh, your spouse? Do you have God's vision? Do you see things from his point of view? Do we see politics? Do we see our education from his point of view? Do we see our church from his point of view? That's the question I lay before us this morning as we're in the book of Numbers looking at the children of Israel, God's children who, who were not seeing things his way. And how many of you know that even as we're in this season of life after Easter, the ancient church called it Easter Tide. So celebration, 50 days after Easter, where we just stay celebrating in the resurrection. Our king is risen, amen, and, and we get to just glorify, minds blown. He won, the battle is won, and we get to walk in that freedom. He's won, and so 50 days of celebration is what the church would do in, in ancient times. 
Eastertide. But one of those stories as part of the Eastertide uh, tradition is Jesus, after the resurrection, walking with some of the disciples to a place called Emmaus. You may be familiar with that story. He's walking with two disciples, and they're all downcast, and they're all discouraged, and they're just walking around because Jesus has been crucified and died, and they don't know that the resurrection has happened yet. And so life is bland, life is discouraged, and, and all hope is lost. And Jesus comes up and says, guys, what's the problem? And they're like, haven't you heard? Can you, like, where have you been? You've been sleeping underneath the rock, man? Don't you know all the problems of our world? And, and we thought this guy was going to be the Messiah, and now he's dead. And Jesus is like, wow, that's a really interesting story. Tell me more. And they walk, and then he starts to talk with them about the scriptures and say, no, this was the plan from the beginning. And they're like, Wow, this was the plan from the beginning. And then uh, he, he, I love Jesus, right? He's just kind of playing coy with them. He's like, hey, guys, I got to go. And they're like, no, 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 please stay with us. Come, come, we're going to stop in this town for the night. And come, come stay with us. Jesus is like, oh, okay, I guess I'll come with you guys. You know, I love the playfulness of Jesus. And he, he, um, he sits down with them, and then he gives thanks. He gives thanks. That's the key word. He gives thanks, and he begins to break the bed. And then you know what happens? Their eyes open. They didn't have the vision of God. They couldn't see what was right in front of them. How many of us can't see what's right in front of us sometimes? We can't see the power of God and the presence of God and the promises of God right in front of us. And he's right there. Ephesians, this is the verse we read actually on Easter as we started this series. Ephesians 1.18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your what? Heart. How many of you knew you had eyes in your heart? Kids, you guys know you had eyes in your heart? Ask your parents about that later. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened or open. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the what? The hope. The hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God has called us to hope. And so, but our eyes have to be open to see it. We got to have God's vision. One pastor I read this week said this, faith, right? We know that the Bible says faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. Faith has to do with our seeing. So he said this, faith is learning to see what God sees. What really matters is not how I see it, not how you see it, but how does God see this situation? That should be the number one piece of any of our conversations in all of these things that we navigate in life is how does God see something? Faith is learning to see things from God's point of view. Amen? It's having God's vision. So as we navigate this story here in Numbers, the children of Israel are walking in fear when they're called to walk in faith. We don't want to miss the promised land. And listen, um, uh, God had made a promise. And so if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're new to the Bible. Um, God had called his people through a man named Abraham. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you this land, the land of Canaan, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now to us, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of good news, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? It sounds like that's kind of weird. And, uh, but listen, to people who lived in the Middle East filled with deserts and camels and dryness and drought, a land flowing with milk and honey sounds really amazing. This is, this is the promised land. And in fact, uh, people involved in geography, if you've taken some world geography, it's called the Fertile Crescent. Uh, that small area of land there that because of the geography, because of the topography, just allows things to grow in the midst of all this desert. So it's very much a covenant land. And God said, I'm going to give it to you, Abraham, and your family. He said this over 600 years before our current text today. And, um, and so 
They had to go through the trials of life. They had to go through slavery in Egypt, and Moses freed them, and they come through the Red Sea. They defeat Pharaoh and the armies, and they come through the Red Sea, and God parts the Red Sea, and and millions of people walk across the the, the Red Sea on dry ground, and then it closes back up and washes away the uh, tremendous Egyptian armies, and the people are freed, and they now have to walk through uh, the, the rest of the Sinai Peninsula there, this desert, in order to get to the promised land. And, um, and God says, listen, this is the land I've been giving you. I promised it to your family generations ago. It was a promise I made to Abraham, and now this is your chance to step into this promise, the promised land. How many of you know that God has a promised land for us, a future for us, something for us to walk into? But a lot of times our vision is so small for our life. Our vision is so small for our marriages, for our sexuality. Our vision is, is so small for things, we miss the promised land. I don't want anybody in here to miss out on the promised land that God is calling you to walk into. I don't want to miss out on the promised land. I don't want our church to miss out on the future that God is calling us to. And so as these spies, these these people come out, what, what happens is they're getting ready at the border and the people are excited. They're like, yes, God has called us to be going to this promised land and they're excited. And, uh, but some of them are nervous about going in. And so God has already said, you, this is your land, this is, you can take it, it's, uh, the, the people who have been there have been judged, and, um, and so this is your opportunity. And, um, and what this passage doesn't say, but there's a parallel passage in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's sort of uh, telling the story from a different perspective, but what they say is, it's actually, they, they end up getting these 12 uh, what they call spies to go on a reconnaissance mission. Their job is to go into the land and tell people what the land is like, even though God already told them what the land is like. But what Deuteronomy ironically tells us is that God never told them to appoint those 12 spies. God said, go into the land. But they got a little nervous. And so they said, wait, 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 let's slow this down. And so Deuteronomy tells us they go to Moses and they say, Moses, we're kind of nervous about what God said. And so we think we should get 12 leaders. So let's get 12 leaders, one from each of the 12 tribes, and let's send them in. And Moses actually gives in. And this is a leadership principle that sometimes we as leaders can give in to people's lack of faith. And, and instead of doing what God has called us to do, we give in and we bow down because people are feeling a little bit nervous. And look, I understand that, right? And so we have to be careful as people not to allow us. In fact, one of the uh, principles that, that one of the, the persons said, says, spiritual leaders must not allow selfish opinions or faith-lacking opinions to cause them to make unwise decisions. Can I read that to you again? Spiritual leaders should not allow selfish opinions or lack of faith opinions to cause them to make unwise decisions because they were nervous about stepping into what God already called them to. And so Moses relented, though, made a bad leadership decision. And so they sent these 12 spies in, and they saw the land. That was the passage that that Casey read for us. And uh, they saw the land, and um, and they were like, man, this land is awesome. The grapes are huge. They had to carry grapes on a pole between two guys, and, and it is awesome. But they were also afraid. In fact, so out of those 12, 10 came back terrified. We call them the terrified 10. So now look at your neighbor and tell them, don't be part of the terrified 10. Tell both neighbors, don't be part of the terrified 10. So now you can do the math probably better than I can. If there's 12 people, you got the terrified 10. That means we have how many left? Two. We call them the trusting two. So tell your neighbor, say, be part of the trusting two. Be part of the trusting two. Right? In fact, let's do a little quiz. 
The Trustings, too, their names are Joshua and Caleb. You ever heard of anybody named Joshua or Caleb? You heard those names before? Raise your hand. Yes, you have. All right, good. Now, raise your hand if you've heard any of these names. Have you heard the name Shaphat, Igal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Nahib, Guel, or Shamua, other than the whale? Now, listen. Right? The names like Igal and Palti, they could be as popular as Caleb and Joshua. Maybe, maybe if, if you hadn't heard Caleb and Joshua for thousands of years, you'd be like, Caleb, what kind of name is that? <laughs> name of my kid, Palti, right? And Palti would have this significance to it, right? That, um, but see, listen, nobody remembers the critics. Nobody remembers the negative Nancys, the people who said they couldn't, it couldn't be done. The people who get, remember the ones who said, no, God has said this, and we're going to trust God. God can do this. They were the ones seeing with eyes of faith, and so they didn't miss the promised land. If you know the story, the whole generation of people, the whole generation of people, everyone over the age of 20, this is how the story ends up, everyone over the age of 20, had to, they couldn't go into the promised land. They lost their opportunity, so they spent 40 years wandering the desert, and they paid for their sin, and their children paid for their sin, because their children could have been in the promised land earlier, and now the children eventually got to go in, but they had to spend another 40 years growing up in the desert. And so um, this is how the situation went down. So I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want you to miss out on God's best for your future. You hear me, young people? We still awake, young people? Yes? All right? We don't want to miss out on God's future when you settle for less, when you settle for a small vision for your life, when you settle for a, a human vision instead of God's vision that God has called you to life, an abundant life. And again, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm telling you, it's way better than what the world is offering you. It's even way better than what you had planned for you. God's plans for you are even greater. And so while we talk to the young people, the same true is for us older folks as well. We don't want to miss out on the future God has for us. And so, listen, let's walk into the promised land. Don't miss the promised land. Here's a few points I want you to write down. Um, How do we miss the promised land? Number one, we start to miss the promised land when we magnify our problems and minimize God's power. We maximize or magnify our problems and we minimize God's power. This is what we do. We start to get around a problem and and listen, you start to think about the problem. The more you think about the problem, the bigger it grows, right? The more you think about someone criticizing you, the more you think, man, the whole world is criticizing me. Everyone in my school hates me because one person said something to you nasty on the bus. Now, now everybody must hate me. Everyone thinks I'm like this. And we start to magnify the problems and we start to minimize the power of God. Now, think about the children of Israel. They just watch God Almighty take down perhaps the greatest nation in the world at that time. Egypt was a powerhouse. Egypt and Pharaoh, the greatest military uh, perhaps in the world at that time. And God took them down. And now all of a sudden, we come up to the land of Canaan, and you're worried about a couple local tribes. You just watch God take out Pharaoh, bring Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army with their chariots and their horses, and they're just like, man, uh, intimidating looks. And now all of a sudden, there's a couple local kings here, a couple local tribes that you're afraid of? But that's how it happens when we start to get our eyes in the wrong place. We start to magnify the problems and we start to minimize God's power. Let's look back at the text, right? Verses 26 
through 31. We're in Numbers 13, verses 26 through 31. It says this, And they came back, this is after they went into the land, these 12 leaders who shouldn't have been appointed in the first place, but whatever, they were appointed. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Notice they're still in the desert. And God's trying to call them into the land with milk and honey. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and they showed them the fruit of the land. And that fruit was big. It was good. It was juicy fruit. Juicy fruit. Verse 27. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does, it does flow with milk and honey. Somebody say, it does. It does flow with milk and honey. It's true. They weren't denying the truth of it. Here is its fruit, they said. Verse 28, but, but, sometimes we got a big but that needs to get out of the way. Don't tell your neighbor that. All right. Sometimes we got to get our big butt out of the way. Listen, uh, grammatically speaking, and I, I'm not a, a great uh, grammar person, but from, from what I'm told, when you insert a, a butt there, it just kind of cancels out everything that was there beforehand, right? And so I don't know what you call that. All the education people can tell me afterwards. But you start to put a butt in that situation, you just cancel. I love you, but no, 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 no. It's I love you and, right? Because you just canceled out. You know, you're trying to butter them up for, uh, for you about to tell them something. And so I love you and. And, uh, and so listen, but here's our problem. We start to magnify the problems. But the people who live there are what? Powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. You just came from Egypt, people. Can you imagine? I mean, you've seen the pyramids. You've seen the movies. Pharaoh's palace. Man, they don't compare to these, these, these little things here. No. But they just started to, to focus on that. And what you focus on just starts to grow and magnify. If you focus on God, you'll find his power sufficient. We even saw the descendants of Anak, not Anakin Skywalker. But the descendants of Anak are perhaps uh, uh, what people believe to be a, a group or a tribe of giants. The, the word uh, is, is talked about later, Nephilim. It means people with really long necks. And these people were uh, perhaps, you know, later on when we find uh, David and Goliath, it, it seems that Goliath was uh, part of this uh, tribe, this group of people. So they are tall. That's, that's fine. Okay. And uh, that's okay. And then now notice what they do here. They just start to list all these people. And look, verse 29, the Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea. They're everywhere. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, they're everywhere. All these ites, they're just infecting everything. And, and so you start to magnify Right, these little tribes were just a little group of people, the little Hittites and little Jebusites. And praise God for Brother Casey who read that, because you know sometimes when you get asked to be the scripture, you're like, "Please, Pastor, don't give me a, a passage with any names in it, <laughs> especially names like this." And Casey did a great job. And so, listen, the Jebusites and the Ammonites, and they were focused on the wrong thing. And how many of you know that? Uh, so these ten. Well, let's keep reading. Let's just keep reading. I'll get caught up. Then Caleb, verse thirty. Then Caleb. Then Caleb silenced the people. Thank God for Caleb. He silenced the people before Moses said, no, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. And so Caleb and Joshua was part of that group uh, that said, yes, we can do it. Those two. But the majority report was wrong. 
How many of you know, especially if you're going to do what God calls you to do, if you're going to walk in your promise land, you're probably going to have to go against the majority. It's not going to be popular to take a stand for Christ at your job. It's not going to be popular to take a stand for Christ in your school. It's not going to be popular to take a stand on issues that people want to talk about and say, no, the Bible says this, and God is our creator, and he made us so he knows what's best. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, liberal, progressive, conservative, doesn't matter. No, we stand on issues that God has called us to stand on. And so it'll go against the majority report. You may be hated by all sides, but that's okay because you'll be in company with Jesus. Amen? And so listen, the majority report is often wrong. And so if we're going to walk into our future, we're going to walk into uh, the promised land, you, you often have to go and swim upstream. How many times have we told our kids, right? Why did you do that? They made some crazy mistake. Why did you do that? And they say, everyone was doing it. Right? And you know what my parents said to me, and you probably said this to your kids, if everyone was jumping off a bridge, would you do it? Yes, said some people. We're going to have prayer in the back section. Uh, I'm just going to stop the service. And so listen, you know, just because everyone is doing it is not a good logical explanation. No, we've got to do what God has called us to do. And so the majority report is not always right. And how many of you know that negative attitudes are often contagious? They all walked up to the edge. Everyone was excited. But then those 10 came back and they started spreading a bad report. Now, all of a sudden, the whole community is upset. The whole community is discouraged. Look at the rest of the verses. In fact, well, you can write this down before we look at the rest of the verses. Point number two. So point number one is this, is that we magnify uh, the problems and we minimize God's power and his promises and who he is. But point number two is this. We begin to put our identity in earthly things. We begin to put our identity in earthly things. And who I am as a parent or what I succeed in at school or what my GPA is or what my job is. I start to put my identity in all these earthly things. Or if I'm in a relationship or not. Now, all of a sudden, I'm important now because someone finally likes me. Uh, You know, all these sorts of things. And so we start to put our identity in and how our yards look. We put our identity in how uh, the kind of car we drive or the degree that we get. And and we can find a, a billion things to put our identity in. But you don't want to put your identity in earthly things because you're royalty. Amen. You're created by God. You're a child of the king. And so why would we trade it for something earthly? Why would we trade? And, but this is what we end up doing. I do it too. And so look at the next couple of verses there, verse uh, 32 and 33. And... Um, Verse 32 says this, and they spread, and they spread among the Israelites a what? A bad report, a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours, it devours those living in it. Oh, my gosh. Again, they're magnifying the problems and, and, and minimizing their God. And all the people, notice what happens here, and all the people we saw there were of great size, And we saw the Nephilim again, the descendants of Anak. And they come from the Nephilim, and and we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We look the same to them. Mm. We look the same to them. Notice they're starting to put their identity and comparing themselves with somebody else. Those people are so much bigger than me. Those people are so much smarter than me. Those people are so much prettier than me. Those people are so much more educated than me. Those people are so much, their teeth are whiter than my teeth. You know, whatever the, the, the case may be, we, we find a billion different things from hair types to earlobes and, and all sorts of things to start comparing ourselves to other people and our identity gets put in the wrong place. Those people are so much younger than me, so much older than me. 
No, don't do that. This is how you miss out on the promised land because you're not acting in who God has called you to be. And so this is what happens to them. They have some great insecurity. They're basically saying, right, we look like a bunch of bugs. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. But notice that's the problem in our own eyes instead of whose eyes? God's eyes. We're called to have God's vision. Do you see things the way God sees them? And that includes you, sir. That includes you, ma'am. Do you see yourself how God sees you? Because God says you are made in my image, and God doesn't make any junk. Amen? You are made as a child of the king. And so do we see ourselves that way, or do we see ourselves like a bunch of grasshoppers? I'm just a grasshopper. I'm just nothing. And then notice, they're also assuming how the other people see them. Look what they said, right? And we look the same to them. Question, how do they know how the other people saw them? You can read their minds, but we start to do this in our lives, right? Everyone thinks I'm this way. Everyone uh, thinks uh, I'm like this. So they assumed how the enemy saw them. We start to project our fears upon other people. And I think, you know, where this comes from is that these folks have been enslaved for many years. They've been enslaved for many years, and they still had a slave mentality. They still thought of themselves as slaves, as worthless as uh, not important. And so they had a slave mentality. Even though God had freed them, they still had a slave mentality. How do you know that when you become a Christian, sometimes we can still have a slave mentality? We're still following the ways of our previous master, Satan. And we still get into the same things we do. And we still believe that we are messed up. We, we still believe that we are going to be struggling with our addictions and our failures. And we start to identify ourselves by our failures. Start to identify ourselves by our addictions. I was just talking with a, a young man that I, I counseled for many years and discipled. And he was in a recovery program. And I was his sponsor. And, um, and um, man, praise God, he's doing better. But, um, you know, he has navigated so many uh, difficult areas of his life and he's grown and has kids and he's doing great but every now and then we got to have these talks and I got to encourage him with who he is and uh, and I love uh, the the different recovery programs that are out there in fact uh, he's been part of one that's called celebrate recovery which is a Christ honoring recovery and and there are all kinds of great recovery programs but I love the difference between uh, what celebrate recovery does and what AA does because AA has you stand up and say you know hi my name is Jim and I'm an alcoholic and Blah, blah, blah. Never says, hi, Jim. Okay, but what Celebrate Recovery has you do is says, hi, my name is Jim, and I'm a Christ follower. And I struggle with the sin of addiction. See, my struggle doesn't have to define me, and I don't have to say and, and, and claim these things over me. So I, I'm a Christ follower who struggles with the sin of uh, pornography. I'm a Christ follower who struggles with the sin of alcoholism. I'm a, I'm a Christ follower who struggles with the sin of same-sex attraction. I'm a Christ follower first, and I may struggle with this area, but that doesn't have to define me. I don't put my identity in that. And so this is what we need to remember. Don't continue to walk in a slave mentality, but know who God has called you to be. Your identity is not in your struggles. Your identity is also not in your job or in your marriage or in your success. Uh, as a parent, right? Sometimes parents feel like I'm such a terrible parent, right? Because there is a two-year-old who can control you and you're 40. And you're like, how is this working? I can't get a two-year-old off the playground. And listen, you've got to remember your identity in Christ. And you need some help. <laughs> and get a community of folks around you to, to help you help that child understand their role in the family. 
And so your identity is not in those things. Your identity is not in your church. It's not in your church membership, right? As we talk about merging, right? Your identity is not in Plaza. Your identity is not in Red. Your identity is not where you're Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, or Catholic. Your identity should be only in Christ. And so denominations are important. But I heard, I heard uh, the quote by Billy Graham who said denominations are like tags. When you go up to heaven, they fly off and you don't need them. And when you go down to hell, they burn off and you don't need them there. And so it doesn't matter whether you're Baptist, Catholic, non-denominational, Lutheran, or whatever. What matters is, are you a child of God, and do you know him personally? And so don't put your identity in these things. And so that's how we miss out on the promise land. We're living by fear, putting our identity in these earthly things. And so don't be a slave. You were not created to be that any longer. And so point number three is this. We get discouraged. We get discouraged. This is what happens to the children of Israel, we get discouraged and we start to miss out on our promised land. We get discouraged. Numbers, I'm moving to chapter 14 now, and uh, we didn't read this earlier, so this will be new. So for those of you who are taking a little nap, thinking, uh, Pastor, I heard the scripture right out, I can take a little nap, now you can wake up. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 says this, That night, that night, all the people of that community raised their voices and they wept aloud. What are they doing? They're getting discouraged. They're starting to get down. And notice again, the bad report, the negativity has spread. And so the people had a giant pity party. And this is what happens to us. We start to have a little pity party and start thinking about us and and how my life is so terrible. And we miss out on the promised land when we're focused on ourselves instead of focused on God and how he's working. And so they have this pity party. Poor us. The promised land. We can't go into it. Those people are too big. And God... God just left us here. And that's how they start to talk. So point number three is we get discouraged with point number four. And we're moving ahead a little quicker now. Point number four is this. We start to complain. We start to gripe. We start to grumble. And this is what happens after you start throwing a pity party. Complaining starts coming out of our mouths. They go from crying to complaining. They go from mourning to murmuring. Look at what verse two says in chapter 14 says, all the Israelites, now notice it wasn't just those ten, now all the Israelites did what? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. And we start to lose our minds when we get our eyes off of Christ. This happened in my family just this week. It happens with particular children, different times. And, um, and we have five in our household, and uh, we were uh, up in Williamsburg. Somebody gave us a timeshare to stay in, and so we, we stayed there. We're having a great time, a beautiful vacation. The weather was beautiful. There was a pool my kids would go to. They didn't have to do their schoolwork, all these things. I took them out to Chick-fil-A, got them a Sonic milkshake. I mean, we were just living the high life. But this is what happened. One of my children wanted a specific pair of PJs. A specific pair of PJs, and those PJs were forgotten in the packing process. And you know that child, who remained nameless to protect the guilty, <laughs> lost their ever-loving mind and went into the room and slammed the door and said, I hate vacations. I don't ever want to go on a vacation again. This is the worst vacation ever, ever. I don't have my PJs. I don't have my PJs. And that sounds so crazy. And it is crazy, but we start to focus on the wrong things. Milkshakes and Chick-fil-A and the pool and the park and meeting new friends and no schoolwork. 
and what you focused on was the PJs? And you start complaining about the PJs? But this is us. And we go from mourning to murmuring. Complaining will keep you out of the promised land. So watch what you complain about. Are you complaining about the weather? Are you complaining about your spouse? Are you complaining about the government? Are you complaining about the traffic? Are, are, are you complaining and using how you slept last night as an excuse? Uh, you know, are you complaining about your boss? Are you complaining about your company? Are you complaining about your coworkers? See, this is not the ways of Jesus. The Bible says do everything without arguing and complaining. Do everything without arguing and complaining. So complaining is not the language of God's people. Now listen, sometimes you got to vent about some stuff. That's different. When you have a, a spouse or a trusted counselor or someone that you can uh, get some of the problems out of, that's different. Venting is not the same, but some of us use venting. Uh, we just vent all over everybody. And, and what you do like that is you just take your trash out of your trash can, go across the fence, and just dump it in somebody else's yard. That's not the same. That's complaining. Don't dump your trash in someone else's yard. And, um, and listen, don't be a person who allows people to dump trash in your yard. Say, no, 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 take that trash right over there. I love you, and we're not going to talk like that. That's inappropriate. And so notice they also blamed their leaders, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. If, if we had only died in Egypt, they preferred dying to walking into the promised land, to the difficulty, to the struggle of walking into the promised land. Again, the promised land wasn't going to be a cakewalk. It was going to be some difficulty, and it, and it required faith. It required trust. But they're saying if only we had died in the desert or if we had died in Egypt. And again, we start to trade these foolish things, and so we start to complain and don't do that. And then fifthly is how we miss out on the promised land. We rebel against God. We rebel against God. We rebel against God. Don't do that because really all these things are evidence of rebellion, but we just need to sometimes call sin what it is, right? Sin is rebellion against God. And sometimes we like to play games and say, well, it's just a little thing. It's just a, uh, this or that. No, it is rebellion against God. Look what happens in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, why, why is who? The Lord bringing us to this land. We start to malign the character of God. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land? You mean the land flowing with milk and honey? The land God's trying to bless you with? But no, we prefer the slavery of Egypt and the comforts there. Why is the Lord? They blame the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword. And then, and then they use their wives and their children as an excuse. And again, we should love our families, and we should protect our families, and, and God has called us to do that, but we shouldn't use them as a scapegoat. Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. No, because God loves your wives and your children and has provided a way for them. If you would trust him and walk in his ways, you would experience that provision. Amen? Wouldn't it be better? Now, look at this. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? It sounds crazy, but how many of us do the same thing time and time again? Now, just think about this for a second. I'm sure Pharaoh is sitting in Egypt thinking, oh, sure, I'd love to have you come back. Right? After, after the plagues, after the firstborn son, after seeing his army demolished in the Red Sea, he's just going to give you all a welcome back and give you some nice quarters. But see, our minds start to do that, and Satan does the same thing. And we start to think, I'll just go back to my old ways. I'll just go back to my old friends. I go back to my old habits. And so many people get locked up in this. We get, again... In slavery, 
It was slavery, but it was safety. At least that's what they thought. That's what the slavery promised. It was, it was, it was uh, comfortable. It was predictable. And how many of us get enslaved by a predictable relationship or a predictable habit of fear or thoughts or worry or anxiety or a compulsion or a desire, again, an addiction, a lust? Um, how many of us get enslaved to these things? Me, people will say to me, listen, pastor, I know this habit's not good for me, but it's just who I am. No, that's not true. I, I, pastor, I know this is a bad relationship, but at least it's predictable. It's all I got. No, we keep going to these things. There is no real freedom in that. God has called us to walk in freedom. And listen, as a church, we can be enslaved by tradition or doing things our ways or ways that are comfortable. And, and so listen, we don't want to get enslaved by these things. Don't be like these people. Then look at verse 4. Notice what he says. And they, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back. To Egypt. In other words, Moses got, and Aaron, God's appointed leaders, the one who God put in charge, we don't want to follow you anymore. We want to go back to Egypt. And then how many of you know problems continue to increase then? Look at verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in front of the whole Israelite assembly and gathered there. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They're grieving. And, and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we pass through is, and explored is exceedingly good. That's what God wants to bring you into, an exceedingly good land, exceedingly good future. If the Lord is pleased with us, that's the key term, and he is pleased with us because of the blood of Christ. He will lead us into that land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only, look at verse 9, do not what? Do not rebel. That's exactly what this. Do not rebel against the Lord, that's exactly what's going on here. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But then you'd think they would repent and, and change their minds, right? And think like, you're right, guys. How could we be so sinful and so foolish? No, verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Poor Moses and Aaron. They go from being... We're going to get rid of you to now we're going to kill you. And how many know leadership requires a higher calling, right? And, and people do sometimes attack you. It happens. And, uh, and so it's tough to be in leadership. But they want to stone them. But then I love this phrase here, and we won't get into all of it for time's sake. Then the glory, the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the other sides. How many know that means it's time? Um, a butt whooping's about to happen. Right. God has now stepped into the situation and is going to deal with these folks. Uh, God is merciful and gracious. And uh, if you skip ahead to verse 20, it, it will we'll kind of fast forward. And verse 20 says this. God did forgive them. Verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them. They did get judgment. There are still consequences to our actions. Amen. I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory, because that's really what happens when we rebel against God, we defame his glory. The glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on an oath to their forefathers. No one who has ever treated me with contempt. Again, all sin is really rebellion against God. Treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and follows me, what? Wholeheartedly. I 
will bring him into the land. I will bring him into the land. And he and his descendants will inherit it. Don't miss out on your promised land, sir or ma'am. God is calling us to walk into a future. But let me tell you what the promised land really is. Because you're like, Pastor, do, is there a promised land for us? Some place we're trying to go? You, you, you know, um, yeah, there is some place we're, we're going. We're going to heaven. But heaven just isn't the promised land. Christ is our promised land. Okay, a relationship with God is what the Bible calls abundant life. Life with him is our promised land. And so an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, walking with him and following him in all his ways is our promised land. So the question is, do we know him? Are we walking with him? Do we have his vision? And if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, well, we'd love to remind you that God is calling you by faith into something better. God is calling you into an eternal promised land. God is calling you into abundant life through Christ Jesus. And what would you choose to believe? Would you stay outside? Maybe by fear. I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I can step across that line. I don't know. I'm nervous. What will my friends think? Or what will my family think? Or maybe you've been a church member for 100 years, and everybody thinks that you're a Christian, and you know you're not. And you need to step across that line. Listen, don't put your identity in anything else other than Christ. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ if you're here today and you don't know him personally as your Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you know you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, you might know about religion, you might know about him, but you've never stepped across the line. You could just repeat after me. You want to say something like this in your heart, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. Admit that I've sinned against you. You can just repeat that in your heart silently if you like. God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, I'm sorry for my sins. But I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again on the third day. I believe you rose again on the third day. And Father, I give myself to you. Father, I give myself to you. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time online or here in this room, fill out a connection card. Let us know. And uh, we'd love to help you grow in your spiritual journey because navigating the promised land in life with Christ is something we do together in community. We're going to hear just a quick uh, update from Miss Amanda, our kids director. And then Scott is going to give us some introduction, uh, some closing stuff. And then I'll be right back.